It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions (laughs) and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and this show are now available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe and rate us and that helps others find the shows. My name is Kay Winningall and today I'm by myself, although Mike Steindl is panelling but he hasn't got a voice. Yes, I have. (laughs) Today... We continue with more about the Northern Territory 10 gigawatt vision that we've been um, following up on since the launch in June this year. And we're going to be playing extracts of interviews with people from the Darwin community sector. Firstly, and very importantly, we'll be talking to Sharmaloy, who heads the Environment Centre Northern Territory. The Environment Centre NT was a vital part in getting the BZE Northern Territory plan underway and Shah will explain more about that and what happened and the work that they did, the ongoing work they did uh, while BZE was developing the plan. Then we'll talk to Robin Knox, who is Deputy Mayor and sometimes Mayor of the City of Darwin, and David Little from Climate Action Darwin, and we'll get both their reactions to the plan and the issues facing the Northern Territory. So here is Shah Malloy from the Environment Centre Northern Territory speaking. I'll apologise in advance for the echo in the room, but poor environmental groups don't have salubrious offices generally. Thanks for joining us, Shah. Thanks, Kane. Thanks, listeners. Shah, first of all, tell us a little bit about ECNT, Environment Centre Northern Territory. Yeah, so the Environment Centre NT is kind of how we abbreviate it, or ECNT. We've been operating since 1983, and we've kind of have three main key areas that we look at and that's around protecting nature and encouraging sustainable living and also encouraging the move towards renewables as a way to address climate change. 1983, that's a long time, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we've been around for a long time and there's been a lot of environmental battles that um, happen through the Northern Territory. And that leads into my next question, How did the collaboration with BZE begin? Yeah, it's a great, actually it's a great story. So um, Eitan arrived in in Darwin. Eitan Eitan Lenko, the chair chair of Beyond Zero Emissions. So he he came to Darwin and he was told um, by, I think, a friend in Sydney to, you know, drop by the Environment Centre and come and see me sometime. And so we met and and hit it off really well. And, um, you know, I think we were both thinking really similar things around the need for an alternative economic plan for the Northern Territory to address fracking. I think it's, you know, okay to say what it is we don't want, but it's really important to say what it is that we do want and actually lay out that plan. So we're both kind of, you know, thinking along similar lines. And BCD is actually renowned for that. that Absolutely. All its plans and reports are about what can be done rather than what isn't being done. Yeah, absolutely. So there was an instant alignment straight away. And so we had that meeting, I think it was like on a Thursday or something, and then I had to go to 
Sydney for another meeting and when I was, so the very next day I got a call from a person that wanted to, a philanthropic organisation, um, the Melodora Fund, that wanted to donate to the Environment Centre and I said, wow, I mean we've just got this amazing plan to create this alternative economic plan for the Northern Territory, what do you reckon about investing in that? And they were like, yeah, that sounds great and I rang up Eitan straight away and, and so that kind of, that little, um, I guess it was like a, you know, that little sort of message that, yes, this is the right direction. So then, um, you know, Aitan ran with it, really, and, um, and then raised the rest of the funding that was needed to write the report. The launch happened at Parliament House. Mm. How do you think that was received? I think what, um, firstly, what was fantastic was the willingness of the Minister, Minister Dale Wakefield, so she's the Minister for Renewables, to host the event and also speak speak at the event and she not only it wasn't just you know a kind of polite introduction you know she really um, talked about the territory's commitment to renewables and and I think you know really embraced the plan as well so and there were other ministers that were there and people across the whole kind of government and industry and and union sector that were there at the launch and I think that it was um you know it was received it was received really well and it was a great turnout too certainly seemed to be quite a few people in the room and very interested people. Yeah, everyone was there, was really committed. I think, you know, that's that's a good way to... Really interested and, and also, and, you know, wanting the best for the territory and knowing that actually relying on a gas economy with nothing else to... Well, you know, not much else to fall back on. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of other things actually the territory is renowned for. But, you know, in terms of kind of that big picture or, or what's you know what are some of the things that can drive an economy so yeah well straight on from that you actually went to a business round table can you tell us who was there the yeah yeah it was great so the environment center and beyond zero emissions had organized and facilitated the business round table so we had invited sun cable a company that's looking at doing the large solar development project here in the Northern Territory and also we had Jeremy Kwong Lee from the Grok Ventures which is the investment private investment company for Mike Cannonbrook so you know that was a connection that um, that Aitan has has made and and you know I think Mike Cannonbrook really understands that you know we kind of need some big projects that can show the way of actually what's possible and and the Northern Territory is so incredibly well placed to lead that transition to a zero carbon economy we have you know incredible sun and also amazing resources to be able to to lead the way so I think you know Mike Cannonbrook's really recognises that and he's um, really interested and willing to um, invest in those lighthouse projects that make a real difference. Were there any concerns that business expressed? Look, the, the concerns that, biz, that basically business expressed, it, it was fantastic because they were like, we don't need money, we don't need incentives, monetary incentives from the government. What we need is a really clear strategy. We don't see that strategy right now, so we don't see the Northern Territory's clear strategy around renewables. The Northern Territory currently doesn't have a climate policy either, so in terms of that direction of, you know, where we're wanting to, to head. And they clearly also said they want to know that the rules won't change halfway through, so they just want certainty for their investments. 
Wow. That's yeah. a powerful message. It's a really, it? really clear and very powerful message. And there were government people that were in that room and also really clearly heard that message as well. That's wonderful. Yeah. In the BZE report, there were some regulatory frameworks mm. or guidelines that were recommended. Did that appeal to the government, do you think? Yeah, look, I mean, the, the two very, very important things is, firstly, a lot of these projects will happen on land that's um, owned by Aboriginal people, and it's incredibly important that there is free, prior and informed consent for communities and traditional owners to really be able to assess the projects, to make sure that they're getting the, the benefits that they need to get out of it, and also the opportunities. So that is really one very clear uh, recommendation that was made, and currently under the legislation that's happening with the Environment Protection Bill, um, that the actual terminology of free prior informed consent is missing from the bill, so we've been advocating for that to be included in there. And the other really important thing, and, and to be very perfectly honest, you know, there was rigorous conversations that we had while we were writing the report because we're looking at processing mineral mines and potentially advocating for for mines to stay open longer. I mean, particularly if we look at MacArthur River Mine. So the MacArthur River Mine has had certainly, a, you know, a history of environmental damage and impact to the community there. And so as the Environment Centre of the Northern Territory, I, and I do think unlike potentially other environments and, you know, other kind of environmental organisations down south, we cannot be advocating for 100% renewables without dealing with the mining regulations. So the mining rehab regulation is inferior here in the Northern Territory. We don't have a chain of responsibilities legislation currently, even though it's a recommendation under the fracking inquiry. So it was absolutely imperative that at the same time as we're advocating for 100% renewables, we're also putting um, those frameworks to protect the environment and protect communities. And as we lead into the territory election, then we will really be advocating and lobbying for those changes. We've currently actually got an intern here from Yale University, and she's working on a project to put together um, our kind of um, our summary of what needs to happen around those mining laws. So, yeah, it's, it's something that's um, certainly running side by side and absolutely imperative. Is it likely that the government will take that up, given that it applies to fracking as well? The Labor government committed to doing things like overhauling the environmental regulatory environment, which they, which they have been doing with this new Environment Protection Bill. They promised coastal marine management strategy. So, you know, I think this is kind of the next steps in terms of um, what needs to happen around regulatory reform. And, and it is also part of the second stage of the regulatory reform from this Environment Protection Bill. And you mentioned it before, that Sun Cable project, which, mm. which is a 10 gigawatt solar farm yes. near Tenon Creek. So those regulatory frameworks need to be in place when this project starts? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that what will be imperative is the community consultation and and I know that they're talking to the Aboriginal landholders currently as it is at the moment. And I think what could be really fascinating with that project is with the involvement of the technology, if that high-voltage DC cable could actually have points where, where along the cable you can actually put further energy in, so it potentially could then have smaller 
um, solar farms on pastoral stations and be able to diversify. And that would really then also give an extra income. And, um, you know, I think there's been talk of, of, you know, the fracking and the potential outcomes for the pastoralists. But this really is a an alternative for, for pastoralists that, that doesn't actually threaten water and, um, and wildlife and land. Again, it's just about the technology, but it's just moving so quickly, so... It yeah. is, isn't it? It and really is. Part yeah. of the BZD report is multiple solar farms for various applications, mm. So mm. mining, hydrogen production, That's overseas right. transmission. So yep. I, I guess it, this is the first step. It's a, yeah, it's a first step. And, and I think what actually this has really done is that it's rather than kind of just presenting the Beyond Zero Emissions report as it is and going, oh, yeah, that's a nice idea, actually having a project that was running alongside of it, it, it gave it a, you know, a real reality to it. So it wasn't just a pipe dream. It's actually something that's actually happening now and can happen now. And I think that really captured the imagination and the attention of the community and the government. It certainly did, and it was quite unusual, the timing of the Sun Cable project Mm. coming out, what, two days after the launch Mm. of the BZE report. What did you make of that? Oh, look, I mean, I think that that the timing was right. I mean, I think the Northern Territory government could see that there was support behind the Beyond Zero Emissions 10 gigawatt vision. And, I mean, we have been talking with Sun Cable the last kind of couple of months, and the, and the Northern Territory government has absolutely been engaged with that company. It wasn't just something that's happened overnight, but we were surprised because, you know, we were really respectful of Sun Cable and respectful that they didn't want to make the announcement until there were certain things in place. So I think that, you know, inviting them up here and the meeting with the Chief Minister and also with Jeremy as well and um, the interest in, you know, potential investment, I think just the timing was, was right. So, yeah, and I guess that's the, that's the part of the, the Northern Territories charm on some level is that we can move quickly. You know, we've got a population of... 250,000 people and you know there is some flexibility and movement within the Northern Territory government that they can respond quickly and that's what they did at this time and and Sun Cable were willing to to go along with that um, you know that energy as well so yeah it was was great. (laughs) And it's certainly that's a feeling that I get here that um, you are quite isolated Mm. and you have your own greed you have the solar opportunities, you have the Asia opportunities mm. in terms of export potential. So all the conditions seem to be to fit and, and be just right for a development like this. It totally is. It, it is. It's the right time, the right place, and that... The willingness, I think, you know, it's it's rather than kind of having a government that's that's just saying no, it's only gas and only fracking. I mean, there's a real willingness to look at the opportunities. I think that needs to be recognised and and acknowledged. Um, and you know, we just have to kind of show how actually renewables, both economically, environmentally, and for communities, is is the way to go. That was Shah Malloy from the Environment Centre Northern Territory. It's very interesting that you mentioned the business stated at the roundtable meeting that they are ready to go but wanted a clear strategy around renewables and they hadn't seen it yet. Two days later, the Sun Cable project was announced unexpectedly. Was that just a coincidence or a hint of things to come? 
Next we have Robin Knox, who is the Deputy Mayor of the City of Darwin. Again, we apologise for the background noise. Her office consisted of lots of bird noises, beautiful view over the water and also motorbikes and other traffic. We started by asking Robin about the City of Darwin council structure. We are very young council, most of it, except maybe not many others, <laughs> fairly young. So they are receptive, but many are very probably tightly aligned to the government. So... And that's currently that's a, a Labor, Labor go- government. A Labor yeah. government that's very keen to talk about gas. I think they're, they are not as courageous as I'd like them to be. Mm. And I've, for years I've talked about the vision of Darwin could be very uh, innovative and be a place that could trial things and export them to Asia. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the people have been hesitant to go that direction. The university have made some good moves and various... It's Charles Darwin before, University. Yeah, Charles Darwin yeah. University yeah. has, when they talked to you about the um, power line from Kananara to mm. Indonesia, I thought that was really quite exciting. The, the mm. thought sort of using the ore as a, a storage, a water storage mm. for uh, renewable energy and, of course, with all the sun. Yeah, there have been uh, good ideas thrown around, but I think the fossil fuel industry is very powerful in the government and particularly the past Conservative government of, say, 20 years ago. Some of those people are still around, the people who originally pushed for impacts to come here. Mm-hmm. They're still in government and advising the Labor Party as well as the Labor government as well as when they advise the CLP government. So for listeners, just briefly explain impacts. It's, it's is the, so matter-of-fact for people up here. It's the largest in the Southern Hemisphere. It's processing offshore gas yep. at the moment, but can process uh, any gas. Prior to that, we had ConocoPhillips who are still here. They were a smaller plant. The Northern Territory pushed very hard for MPEX to come here rather than go to Western Australia because uh, there was the option of them developing over there. So they came here and um, we had a massive boom, which everybody was very happy about, and now we've got the big bust and eight everything's very eight quiet. 8,000 workers or something like yeah, yeah, we had a lot of workers mm-hmm. there. The camp was about 6,000, I think, and mm-hmm. a, lot of, uh, a lot of earthworks the first few years uh, the local employment was very high and a lot of pe- labourers and people coming up here. And the second stage, they moved more into specialist workers that came from a lot more fly-in, fly-out, mm-hmm. um, and some came from overseas. In terms of the council itself, mm-hmm. how does the boom-bust cycle affect the council? Well, we're very concerned, of course, because in t- all the businesses in town suffer enormously. We We have some empty shops, we have some businesses that were forced to close, even some tourism. When Inpex came here, they filled up every single bed everywhere. Um, there were people in sleeping cars, even in this street. You know, oh, like, wow. it was such a massive employment. And, and even though they tried to plan for it, there weren't enough beds. So tour operators said to me, you know, they had to pick people up at the airport and take them straight out to Kakadu or somewhere. They couldn't... There wasn't space for them in town. And so that really it was hard for tourism. And we, our tourism had been growing quite continuously growing until that point mm. and then it took a big knock and so now we're trying to rebuild again. Wow, so tourism was affected that much? I think so, yes Yeah, oh. I haven't got the figures in front of me but I heard stories about that. Everybody was pretty happy because businesses were busy and no, no empty properties and values mm. went up and of course now they've all come back to reality. Now, <laughs> someone was saying house prices actually tripled in some areas was that? I'm not sure if they tripled, I mean I know example is you know, sort of, sort of rent on it this townhouse now might be 290, whereas it was a 530. So okay. that's quice. Well, it's a factor of two. Yeah, so that's a lot. You know, maybe they double. 
at the peak <clears> of the shortage, but it was only for a fairly short time at mm. peak. So, so two questions for, flow out of that for me. One is, what would you assess as the council's balance of attitudes towards uh, a renewable project like this versus the gas? And you just start to say that people sort of have a they've locked in their position a bit on gas. But then, flowing from that, what influence does your council have, or is it really only the state government? Do you have any influence? Unfortunately, I don't think we do have any influence on the big picture. We certainly, uh, every year, are budgeting and putting on more and more solar panels on all our buildings. That's so you're away by project. We have been doing that for Yeah, we have been doing that for a long time now. It's probably about the sixth year. where Each year mm-hmm. we put in another 100 kilowatts or so. Um, so. And that, of course, is paying itself off very quickly. In our Smart Cities project, I'd like to see us put uh, charging points for electric cars. They haven't done that yet. I think the reason is there are so few electric cars in Darwin, unfortunately. Mm. And so do you think that you're ahead of the game in terms of meeting the 50% target by 2030 that the Territory Government has? I I hope we will do better. Um, I'd love to see Council get to zero emissions. That was a bit of an eye-opener about some of the effects of the boom and bust cycle has on towns and cities. And that was Robin Knox, the Deputy Mayor of the City of Darwin. Finally, we have David Little from Climate Action Darwin. He was also at the launch of Parliament House and the following events. Hi, David. How are you? I'm good, thanks. And, and what a great event to be here for, too, to uh, see this launch of a 10 gigawatt vision for the Territory that rewrites Territory's future in all sorts of ways. So, David, when you first heard about it, or did you actually get to see it, what's your impression of the content of the report? It's fantastic, the options that are provided. And I think, I guess, to me, one of the really striking things about the report and puts it in perspective to me is that the current energy consumption in the Territory is in the order of one gigawatt per annum. And this vision is for 10 gigawatts. So it's far, far bigger than just attending to the current energy demands and usage within within the Territory. It's actually it's a vision that rewrites the, the future of the Territory, potentially moving away from fossil fuels, which... I mean, all the evidence that's here about climate change, then, then clearly, as much as none of us really, you know, well, we're all hooked on our on our fossil fuels. The reality is that if uh, for our kids and our grandkids and whatever, we really do need to move away from fossil fuels. And this vision actually provides a really viable alternative. The the, the territory clearly has got some issues in, from an economic point of view at the moment, financial point of view, and so this concept of of having a very large relatively cheap energy supply in the Territory that's relatively environmentally benign is is just fantastic. So David, let's step back a little bit. You are part of Climate Action Network here in Darwin. Could you give us a bit of history about the group itself, about how long you've been here and about the issues that you've seen with regard to climate activities? Righto, well on a personal level I've been in the Territory since 1980 so why? In, in terms of Climate Action Darwin. Climate Action Darwin actually initially started in 2009. In the last couple of years, I've only been involved for a couple of years now, and in the last couple of years, really, the, the ante's been up. The, um, I mean, it's, it's just so much in our face at the moment. The, we're seeing increased temperatures here. We're, we're seeing increase in sea level. I mean, I live quite near the beach in, in Darwin, and there's sections before June there which just yeah, each year they're disappearing trees that well were there three or four years ago are now no longer there. They've disappeared into the ocean. So I mean we're we're just seeing these things right on our doorstep. But you know, 
so so there's a yes become more apparent and I think with that then and clearly from a global sense and there's been so much attention about climate change and so climate action Darwin has has built with with that I guess as more and more people like myself have got more and more concerned about it we've currently got about 700 members it's all voluntary amazing contribution by a, a whole swag of people who yeah you know dedicate lots and lots of time and energy to doing activities related to climate. So have you found the numbers increased over the last few years? 700 is an enormous amount for a small city. Um, yeah, I've, dramatically. Yeah, in the, in the last 12 months particularly, um, there's been a, a, a really big increase. And that, I, I think it reflects a number of things. One is uh, the, the increased community concern. I mean, clearly... In the Territory, there's just been this big debate about fracking and there's, there's so much community angst about the, the idea of fracking, fracking in the Territory and, I guess, you know, climate considerations are closely related to fracking. And, and I suppose it's a bit of a, a chicken-and-egg scenario, but, of, of course, when you've got more people involved and you've got greater capacity to do things so you can run more events, be more in the public eye, etc. And, and so, yeah, that's all... There's been a bit of a snowballing really, to, um, to see increases in recent times. So, David, when you had a look through the plan, were there any things that jumped out at you? Were there any issues or problems that you could foresee? Oh, look, I think the, the biggest problem is, is setting up the right um, regulatory and, and policy framework. That, to me, is the, the challenge. And in fact, I, I understand from just some, some comments that I've heard over, over the last few days of, of business representatives that have been in Darwin with the, associated with the launch of the um, Beyond Zero Emissions report, the 10 gigawatt vision, that many in industry are actually saying they're not after handouts of money. What they're after is consistency in government policy, a clear direction from the government that they're serious about renewables, that they see this as the future for the, for the Territory. And so if they can have security or confidence that the goalposts aren't going to change, then that becomes very appealing for them to be here. So yeah, so that, that's where, to me, that's where the alarm bells ring, that can we have a, a mature enough society here, a mature enough government here to actually say... Yeah, this this rewrites the future of the territory, rewrites the economic future of the territory, rewrites the environmental future of the territory. But to do it, we've got to demonstrate that we're we're actually committed to it, that we're we're serious about it. We'll provide the, the right regulatory framework to do it, and and then that then provide the environment for for um, for things to go ahead. If you had one final word, what would it be? I just think we're incredibly lucky globally and locally. We're just facing such an issue with climate change and we've just had this concept dropped on our doorstep that addresses so many of those issues. We just are incredibly lucky. Thanks very much David. What a great ending comment from David that the Northern Territory is so lucky to have the BZE plan dropped in their laps. It certainly reflects a feeling generally from people that we spoke to around Darwin and hopefully we weren't in we were in a big bubble rather than a small bubble. For more information, listeners can go to the BZE website and find the Northern Territory 10 Gigawatt Vision Plan. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions Think Tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe to help others find the show. 
If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs, please go to the BZE website and click on the donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.